Well, thank you all for being here today. Welcome to Exalt Church. We are so thrilled to have you today, and uh, we are continuing our series, Don't Do Life Alone, Get Connected. And so we want to talk about that. I find it amazing that when God created the perfect environment for man, the Garden of Eden, and He prepared it, He put man in the perfect environment, uh, you know, with the absolute abundance of everything to eat, perfect, no pollution, no war, God made a statement. He said, it's not good. And what was the one thing that God said wasn't good about the garden that he made for man? He said, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be outside of community. And so that was true several thousand years ago. It's still true today when God says, it's not good for you and I to be alone. It's not good for you and I to be outside of a community. Look at John chapter 13, and I'm going to encourage you to reach in and grab your notes and follow along with me today. Uh, There's a lot of the information that will not be on the screen today because there's too much of it, but grab out your outline and follow along with me, and you can see the verses I'm about to cover today. But look at John 13 and verse 34. Jesus says, listen to these words carefully, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Pause right there. When Jesus says, I am giving you a new commandment, he is putting himself on the same level as God because it was God at Sinai that said, these are the commandments. Jesus says, I give you a new commandment. Who can give new commandments? Only God. And so Jesus Christ is the God-man and he's saying, here's the commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I want to hone in on that. He says, Christians, follower of Christ, disciple, your love for one another will prove to the world, the unbeliever, that you are my disciples. What What proves that we are God's people isn't our amazing gifts. It's not our abilities, it's not speaking in tongues, it's not preaching a sermon, it's not singing a beautiful song, and man, do we have some talented people up here, do we not? Amen for that. Listen, the reality is, it's our love for one another that proves the world that we are His disciples. I believe, and I believe the Scripture teaches, that the most diverse place on the planet should be the church. Because what unites us is not whether you have a man bun or a crew cut. Amen, come on. Not whether you're a Dallas fan or a Redskins fan. Come on. It's not based upon your race or your ethnicity. It's not based upon your social economic status. In the church, there should be poor, there should be rich. Listen, there should be man buns and there should be crew cuts. There should be Dallas fans and there should be Redskin fans. Help them, Jesus. There should be skinny jeans and bell bottoms. Are you hearing me today? Listen, the body of Christ should prove to the world that we are his disciples. Why? Because despite our differences, we love each other and we care for each other. It should be gray hairs and dyed hairs. 
and guys that still have all of their hair. Together, the body of Christ. Here's the reality, however. If we are to live out the love chapter when he says, love others have loved you and the world will know that you are my disciples by your love, that means I cannot live this life by myself. It means to live this life and be a follower of Christ and be a disciple of Christ means it must involve other people. You say, Roger, can I not be a follower of Christ and worship God in my home? Yes, you can be a follower of Christ and worship God in your home, but you won't be a mature one. Because why? Because by worshiping God by yourself in your home, you're being selfish. Because you're robbing the body of Christ of your talents, your gifts, of what you have to offer. And also you're robbing us of the opportunity to pour into your lives. And so as a Christian, you're not an orphan. As a Christian, you are to have a family. As a Christian, you're not to live the life by yourself. And we don't understand that in our Western world because in our Western American society, we value the individual above the community. But that's not the way God views it. God values the community. When he saved your life and he came and he brought you into relation with him, he saved you because he had a plan to break into the rest of your family. When God saved my life as an eight years old, he was putting my mother, my father, my brothers, my cousins on notice. He was coming for them as well. We'll talk about that some other time. But the body of Christ needs you. The church needs who you are, and you need the church. And here's what happens. I'm going to just highlight a few of these for you today. Over 59 times in the New Testament, we find this word, one another, or each other. And when Jesus says, love one another, he is saying, guys, you, you, you can't do this by yourself. And let me pause here, because we live in a culture of spectators. I never thought in my life I would ever turn my television on and watch people watching people play video games. <laughs> I'm going, what are they doing? I mean, maybe I can't make the touchdown, but I can play a video game just fine. Thank you. But we're spectators. However, Christianity is not a spectator church, a spectator sport. Jesus Christ did not come into your life to change your life to have you sit in a row. If you think Christianity is coming and sitting in a row, and that's your version of faith and Christianity, you have a warped version of what Christianity is. If your mentality of the church is, I come and sit in a row and listen to some guy pontificate about what he wants to talk about that day, we have missed what the church is. The church is not done in rows. The church is done in community. It's done in circles. Christianity is not done in rows. Christianity is done in circles. It's done in the one another's. It's the great laboratory when you and I come together and we face each other and we begin to minister to one another. Now, I love you, and I care for you as a pastor. I care for you as a friend. I care for you as your shepherd, but I, as one man, cannot meet all of your needs even if I wanted to. There's not enough days to have coffee with every single one of you. There's not enough days to, 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 to do everything you need. That's why God gave the body of Christ. He didn't give a committee. He didn't give a deacon organization. He gave the body, the church, 
to minister to each other. And when we are ministering to each other as we're supposed to, every need's met. Oh, don't shout me down. That's some good preaching right there. <laughs> when you get quiet, I make a note and I come back to it later on. So, <laughs> so, so let's go right here. Number one, it's in your notes. Look there. Love one another. And in your notes, you will see how many times that phrase is used. Over and over again, love one another, love one another, love one another. Don't you know when God repeats himself, do we not know that when he repeats himself, it's something really important? And so to listen, it's a paragraph in your outline of how many times he says love one another. He is saying this is pretty important. My mentor pastor, when I was about 11, 12 years old, actually I was older, about 14 years old, when he came to his first pastorate as a 29-year-old man, for an entire year, he preached on love. And he said, once you get this, I'll move on to the next subject. Because he came into a dysfunctioning, fighting, bickering church that didn't like each other, that was just a mess. And he talked about love. It changed the entire atmosphere. Jesus says, love one another. The second one, it's in your outline there. Encourage one another. Next one, build each other up. You and I are to build each other up, not tear each other down, but build one another up. Encourage one another. I teach our leadership team that we should be fan of the other teams. I tell my leaders, if you lead one group, you should be praising some other team's leader and some other team member. If you're leading the kids' team, you should be praising the worship team, and the worship team should be praising the setup team, and the setup team should be praising the first impressions team. We build each other up. Build up your spouse. Build up your kids. Build up the ones that's sitting next to you. Build them up. Number five is one of my favorites in your outline there. He says, spur. Say spur. spur. This Kansas kid likes some spurs. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. You may know this, but my spiritual gift is the gift of agitation. <laughs> That's what God has gifted me to do, to agitate people. When he says spur each other, my mind goes to that cowboy riding that horse and if you get a stubborn horse, what do you do? You just kind of hit him with that spur just a little bit. And sometimes you've got to give a little harder. But you spur him on. It means to irritate in the Greek language. Do you realize that you're called by God to irritate other Christians to go on towards love and good deeds? So tell my wife when I irritate her, I'm doing what Jesus told me to do. I'm doing this because Jesus told me to, baby. So we're to irritate each other, to love one another, to good deeds. Some of you have that spiritual gift too, don't you? Okay, maybe you don't like irritate. How about entice? We're to entice others to good deeds. We're to stimulate others to good deeds. We're to motivate others. To do good deeds and to love one another. Number six, speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You may not know this, but we have a couple of rules around here at Exalt Church for our team members. And one of the rules is this you never ask someone if they're pregnant because you don't win. Every time I've asked that question, I have been wrong. 
So as your pastor, I made a rule. Never ask anyone if they're pregnant. They're just fluffy, usually. Roger, get back to the notes. Wow, did he say that? Rewind it. Spur one another. That's my spiritual gift. I'm telling you. I'm spurring you. But he says, speak to one another. Another one of our rules is this. When you see someone and you're 10 feet away from them, whether you're at Walmart or whether you're at Sam's or you're at Exalt Church, look him in the eye and say hi. Because there's a proven study that says when you look at someone in an environment, even if you nod at them and you don't acknowledge them, psychologically they feel like a non-person. And so that may be fine at McDonald's, but it's not fine in the body of Christ. I don't want anyone walking through those doors and feeling like a non-person. So you may be shy, you may be uncomfortable, but everyone can say hi. And it may be hard at first, but say hi, say hello. You don't have to give them your zip code. You don't have to give them your social security number. You don't have to tell them where you've been or where you haven't been. Just say hi. Speak to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. He says, do these one another's. And listen, a pastor cannot do this for you. A deacon community cannot do this for you. An elder board cannot do this for you. Listen, there's, there's a misconception in the church. We think that we, quote unquote, hire a pastor to do everything. No, you know what the Bible says a pastor is called to do? A pastor is called to train you to love each other. It's called to train you to encourage one another. In fact, Ephesians 4 says he gives the pastor to train you to do the ministry. And sometimes that's like herding cats. Now, we don't like to hear that. But you're the ministers. I am an administer. I am an administrator. You're the ministers. You're deputized by Jesus to do the work of the ministry. You can encourage someone. You can build someone else up. You may not all be called to be pastors and lead a church, but you are all called to do these things. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, encouraging them. Number seven, it's not real popular with us, but confess your sins to each other. Wow. Yes, one another. And what he means there oftentimes is it's to the people you've wronged. That when you've wronged someone, go and make it right and say, I have failed here. I have missed it here. I'm sorry for what I've done. I've sinned against you. And number eight, pray for each other. Pray for each other. Now, we all know these things, but do we do them? Pray for each other. I want to encourage you. You don't have to have the pastor to pray for you. You can pray for people. You can pray for them. Some of the most beautiful prayers I've ever heard have been little children who have prayed for me. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. And yes, if you put it in that prayer box, we will pray over it. We will pray for you. But encourage each other and pray for one another. Pray for your spouse. Do you want to bind with, bond with your spouse? Practice praying for them. And if it's weird for you to pray for them out loud, I'm going to tell you, when you're mad at them and you're fighting with them, it's hard to be angry with them when you're driving down the road and you start praying for them. God, bless them. God, I know he's stupid, but bless him. 
Lord, I know he forgot our anniversary again. Help his memory, Lord. He must have Alzheimer's or he's just dumb. Help him, Jesus. It also says, you pray for each other. Go to God and say, God, I pray. Pray for your children. I knew a woman that she was married to an atheist, and she was a devout Christian. She was so devout, she would literally pray four and five hours a day every Saturday. She loved the Lord. And every night, she'd lay in bed with her husband, and she would rub the back of his head. And he thought she was just being nice and really friendly, and the whole time she rubbed his head, she's just saying, Jesus, save him. Jesus, save him. And Jesus did, and that guy is just more on fire for God than even she is, if that's possible. But pray for one another. Let's jump down here to a couple of them. Let's look at number, what is it, number 10? In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Now listen, in, in the Greek, and you don't quick quote the Greek to you very often, but in the Greek language, it says it implies a conscience, sure measuring of things where you weigh the matter and you you weigh it factually and after you weigh the matter and you think about it you consider the other person better than yourself it's not this emotional thing oh you're better than I no you weigh the facts and then you choose to say I'm going to consider you above myself wait a minute you've only been saved for a week and I've been in the church for 10 years I'm going to consider you above myself you mean you got a better singing voice than I do? I'm going to consider you above myself. Consider others above yourselves. You can't do this by yourself. You can't do this in your home. You can't do this in isolation. You can't consider others in your home watching a TV preacher. You can't. Technology is wonderful, but it's also isolated us. We need one another. Next one's not real popular. What is it? Number 11. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to husbands. Husbands, submit to wives. Children, submit to parents. Submit one towards another. Now, again, we don't like that. I especially don't like that. Because of my upbringing, I was taught to be in control, I was taught to take it in stride, I was taught to be strong, and you do it, and you go, and you go on. But here's the reality. Do you realize that we can never submit to one another until we disagree with them? You never submit to someone you agree with. You have to disagree before you submit. When you both want to go to, to go to Outback Steakhouse, you're in agreement. No one has to submit. But when one wants Outback, Outback Steakhouse and the other one wants Taco Bell, I don't know why, but one wants Taco Bell, someone is going to have to submit. Are you hearing me? There are times in my walk with God, He loves me as I am. He loves me in spite of my sin, but He still calls me to a life of submission. And can I tell you, I've been serving Him since I was eight years old, first, preached my first sermon at nine years old, and there's times that He and I still disagree, and guess who wins? 
He's the master, and I submit to him. And there's times I disagree with his plan for my life, and we've disagreed, and we've had those conversations. I have prayed prayers that he did not answer the way I thought he should. I even quoted Bible verses at him. And can I tell you, I have a problem with it when you think you've got to batter God with Bible verses because it assumes the fact that he doesn't love you. You've got to convince him. You don't have to convince God. He loves you. But there's times I've prayed the prayer of faith. And he hasn't gone the way I've wanted to. There's been times I've lived on the West Coast in Los Angeles, and he said, you belong on the East Coast. And you look up online, Chesapeake, and all that comes up is the Great Dismal Swamp. (laughs) Sometimes because God loves you, he says no. Sometimes he says whoa. Sometimes he says slow. And sometimes he's silent. And oftentimes the hardest way to obey God, and I know this is not in the notes, we're going a little different here, is when we don't get what we want or how we think it should have played out. But because he loves you and because you love him, you open up your life before him and you submit your life to him. My mother for years has, and we're very close, my dad as well, but for years my mother has been afraid that one day I would go be a missionary in Africa because I love Africa so much. I love it. When I went there for three weeks, she about had a heart attack and thought I was going to move to Africa. And I told her one day, I said, Mom, I love you. I said, God hasn't called me to go to Africa But if he ever says go, I'm going. And she says, I know you'll go because you love him more than me. I said, Mama, that's true. Love you, but I love Jesus more. You submit to him. Bring that into relationships. There are going to be times when both answers are okay. There's nothing immoral between Taco Bell and McDonald's. They're both equal. Sometimes it doesn't matter what job you pick or don't pick. Are you submitting? Are you submitting to one another when one has a different opinion? Do you submit? And I want to be very careful because some of you guys come from backgrounds to where the guy was so dominant, he became abusive and he would say, you must submit. I came from a Midwestern home where my dad ruled the house as a benevolent dictator. Love him dearly. He was not a religious man, but he ruled the home with old Midwestern values. And I got to be careful in my life that some of those values, some of them are great, some aren't, but they will, they will trickle into my life to where I can treat others in that same mentality. And we're quick to quote, submit to your husbands, but we're slow to quote, love her like Jesus loved the church. Gentlemen, until you are willing to die, and you will die, until you die to yourselves, 
We have no right to, in a vicious way, demand submission. And the idea that submission is a negative thing or an evil thing, oh, if I say yes to God, he's going to send me to Africa. The most gracious place you can be is in a place of submission when the one that you love loves you more than you love him. And when you say yes, he puts a desire in your heart and a joy comes to it. I had no intention to plant there that long, but that was for someone right there. Going to number 12. One another, serve one another in love. The word service is where we get the word deacon, diakonos, deacon. And what it means is it denotes a servant, it denotes a slave, not like an old South antebellum, but, but a, a servant of the ancient Near East. And here's what they were. They were a managing party that managed the master's property or household and distributed wages and goods to the members. Here's the reality, my friends. We don't own anything. We don't own our bodies. We don't own our money. We don't own our houses. We don't own our cars. We are, if you will, temporary earthlings borrowing this time that we have. It's God, and God's called us to have our time, our talents, and our treasures, not to just serve ourselves, but to serve others. And so when we look at what we have as if we are a steward, and a manager, and a servant, and not the owner, it helps us. Because when God tells you to give the car away, you don't say, that's my car, you give it. I've done that. So Lord, I have plans for that car. But you give it. So you and I are, are servants, and we're to serve one another, realizing when I look at you and you look at me, I look at you as someone that is valued by God, and I serve you because you belong to him. Number 13, carry each other's burdens. And we're, gonna, we're just going to cherry pick through some of these here before we close. Carry each other's burdens. One another, 59 times. Love one another. Care for one another. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Build one another up. Carry each other's burdens. You see, there's different levels of relationship and there's different levels of maturity. At the, at the most simplest level of maturity and, and relationship is when we fellowship and we around the Word of God and we share the Word of God. That's expected and that's good and we should have Bible studies. But some of us have had so many Bible studies, we're not obeying the last Bible study we were in. And we want another Bible study to teach us something else about knowledge and we're not even obeying the last thing we learned. And so, relationship, carry each other's burdens, uh, fellowship, relationship, you know, it's good to study the Word of God together, and we're doing small groups, and, and in some of your groups, you're going to be studying the Word of God together, and that's good, and you should, and that's expected, and you're going to pray together, and you should, and that's expected. The next level of relationship is, is this level of service where we are serving one another. I just mentioned it. We, we serve each other. How can I serve you? Serving God is not putting on a tuxedo. It's putting a towel over your arm and saying, how can I serve you? Pastoring is not a power position. Pastoring is serving, and we're to model that to you. Small group leaders, it's serving. Being in a small group, being in the body of Christ, being a member, being a believer, it's serving each other. That's the next level. 
But do you know what one of the greatest, deepest levels of relationship is? It's when you actually carry someone else's burden who's suffering. It's the fellowship of suffering. It's when you walk into someone else's pain, and the biblical word, we get the word sympathize. We call it empathy, but in the Greek it was sympathize, where you sympathize and you feel what they're feeling. And you enter into their suffering, and you carry each other's burdens. Our worship pastor, Tony, is on vacation in a much-deserved vacation in Disney this week. And he was texting back and forth yesterday. And I texted him back and I said, let's do this like championship wrestling. Let's do a tag team. Tag me. I've got this. Don't you worry about it. Don't you think about it. Don't you fret about it. Don't you pray about it. Give it to me. I will, I will think about it and pray about today's service. You go and enjoy what you're doing. Tag to me. Let me carry this. And so when we carry each other's burdens, we, we, we step into their pain and say, listen, you know, it's not, hey, I love you, I'm praying for you. No, it's when you actually step in and you care for them. I can think of illustration of illustration to, to share that with you. Sixteen. Skip over a few here. Live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony. I, I, I love the poetic meaning of this. It says, it basically means to be carried away by a flood. That's the word, which sweeps everything along with it. And while it starts sweeping you, you give yourself up to it and you float along with it. One of the most funny things you'll ever see is when Laura and I go tubing on a river. It is not pretty. One time we were down in Belize and I had the great discernment to spur her on. Agitate her. All right, you got it. And we jumped on this inner tube and decided we were going to go look at bats and glowworms in this darkened cave on an inner tube. Now, Laura does not like water, first of all. Uh, she doesn't like being on an inner tube, second of all. We're in a foreign country floating through a black cave. Are you with me? And I'm saying, isn't this wonderful? I want to go with the flow. Now, here's the reality. I do have a very uh, strong independent streak. You may not know that, but I do. And so what they told us was you were supposed to interlock your legs and arm together and float in a group. Well, I got tired of that about after about 30 seconds. And I said, babe, you float with me. I'll float beside you. And before long, I was, woo, this is great. And I'm carried away with the river. And I looked back and her look said, you better get back here or I'm going to kill you. I mean, she really did. She's a lovely lady. I got back before she killed me, and then I finished strong. But, but for a moment, I was just carried away with the river. We're to live in harmony with one another. We're to be carried away with the love we have with each other and be, and be carried away and taken away together. Number 17, bear with each other. Sometimes loving each other means you just close your mouth and put up with it. 
and you bear it. Sometimes God puts EG in people in your life. Extra grace needed. (laughs) And when God gives you these extra grace needed people, sometimes you pray with them and sometimes you spur them and sometimes you speak the truth in love and sometimes you rebuke them and sometimes you carry their burdens and sometimes you listen to them and sometimes you just bear with them. And finally, number 19, forgiving each other. If you are in a relationship, at some point, you're going to be called to forgive someone. If you're in a church, at some point, you're going to have to forgive someone. If you serve in a job and you work as an employee or an employer, at some point in time, you're going to have to forgive someone. If you serve at an exalt church, we are not perfect. You're going to have to forgive someone. If you serve with me, you're going to have to forgive me from time to time, and I'm going to have to forgive you. And here's the reality. When we forgive each other, we prove to the world that we are his disciples because nothing else proclaims the gospel like forgiveness. Because when I forgive you, I am the most like Christ. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean to endorse and continue and allow abusive behaviors, okay? Forgiveness deals with the past. Trust deals with the future. But I'm talking about there are times where we get into these situations where we hold the grudge, and when we forgive one another, we live the gospel. I'm going to tell you, when you get into a small group and you start learning people and knowing people, it's going to rub you and create sparks sometimes, and sometimes it's going to be uncomfortable, and you're not going to like it, and sometimes they're going to say something you don't like or you disagree with. You're going to have to forgive. I told Carice and Jason when I was doing their wedding vows, I said, you know, part of it is, Living the gospel, and living the gospel is forgiving. When I forgive you, I am proclaiming the gospel. I didn't deserve it, but God forgave me. Amen and amen. I just went through about 19 of the 59. You can look at the rest of them in your notes. But I want to hammer on that. One another, one another, one another, each other, one another. Look around you. These are one another's. Look beside you. That's a one another. Look behind you. That's a one another. One another. And if we are going to do the one another's of scriptures, how are we going to do the one another's? Well, we're going to pay a pastor to do it. Nice try. Nope, that's not the Bible. I just listed to you what the one another's, what we are called to do together. Create a committee. That's not what it says. It says, serve one another. If we are going to do the one another's, you're going to hear me say this again and again, we've got to get out of the rows, and we've got to get into circles. We've got to get on a ministry team. We've got to get into a small group. We've got to get somewhere where we start knowing other people and knowing their names. Because as long as you come in here and all it is is a superficial high, how are you, we're not fulfilling the mandate upon the church to be a family of one another's who cares for one another's. And let me say this. 
you are in a church, you are never going to know everyone. That's not the goal. The goal is not for you to know everyone. Listen carefully. Your goal is not to know everyone, but our goal is that in this place of exalt, everyone is known and there is a difference. When you get past 12 people, you don't know people. Look at Jesus Christ. He gave his life to 12. He touched the masses, but he gave his life to 12. So the goal is not that everyone knows, well, I don't know him, and I don't know him, and I don't know him, but that doesn't release you from the fact that you are called to know someone, somebody. You're like the boy who was taking starfish, and there were thousands, an old story, but there were thousands of starfishes, and he throws one after another into the ocean, and some old man comes up and says, boy, there are thousands, you're not going to make a difference. And he picked up one, and he says, but to that one, it made a difference. And to that one, it made a difference. So I encourage you to get onto a team where you know someone. I encourage you to join a small group where you know someone, where it goes beyond just a shallow, hi, Southern, how you doing? Good to see you. God bless you, Bubba. See you next week. You know people. Here's what's going to happen. Real quickly, if you're taking notes, write them down. How do we do that here? We're going to do it through small groups. Join a ministry team, get in a small group. You can join out there. You say, Roger, are you, just push- are, you just pushing- are you just pushing a program? Listen carefully. I don't have time for programs. I hate programs. I despise programs. We are not a program-driven church. However, I'm all about creating structures that allow biblical things to happen. And in small groups, biblical things can happen. Why? Because relationships can happen. And in your small group, and it's misspelled in your outline, but small groups have opportunity what? For Bible study. It may give a, maybe in your, in your group, I know the young marriage groups are going to talk about marriage, and they're going to talk about the Bible. It may be heavy Bible, it may not be heavy Bible, but it's a chance to, to hear the word. Second of all, write it down. It gives you the opportunity for relationships. So Bible study and relationships. I want you to have real relationships. It's not good for man to be alone. Listen to me, couples. It's not good for a couple to be alone. Why? You get isolated. You get isolated. Relationships, again, we're not asking you to know everybody. You're not going to know everyone. Our goal is not that everyone is known, but that everyone is, not everyone knows everyone, but that everyone is known. And how's it happen? In, in a small group. Think about that a little bit. Why are relationships important? When I was in Africa back in 2009, I was out watching crocodiles eat ducks having a good time when someone pointed out there was a lioness about the distance from me and dad seagull right there and we were oblivious because we were watching crocodiles now she knew that we weren't good eating but she wanted what was down there and what did she see she didn't see a big herd she was going after the isolated one Who is the most vulnerable? The ones that isolate themselves. You need one another. And listen, others need you. 
Can you say yes to that? Small groups provide an opportunity for prayer. I need people to pray for, sometimes I need people to pray for me personally. I can't tell you how encouraging it is to me when my father-in-law says I'm praying for you because I believe he is. I, I can't tell you how encouraged I am when someone lays a hand on my shoulder and they pray for my need or pray for me. You need that. And it doesn't have to be kooky or spooky or weird or long or in a foreign language. It can be a simple, God bless my friends, strengthen them and encourage them. And can I tell you, if you don't know how to pray, the best way to start is doing it in a small group where you just, just a short prayer. One of the greatest, greatest honors I've had is to go to friends of mine that own businesses and pray over their business and just pray. Number four, I need people that will support me. A small group gives support. I need people who will protect me, people that will love me, people that will watch out for me, and that happens in a small group. And finally, what do small groups do for us? They give us a place to serve and to share. It can't all be one way. Give me, give me, give me. That is a consumer mentality. That is a consumer church. That's a spectator Christianity. It's for me, it's for me, it's for me. Let me brag on your church here right now. We did a quick count a couple weeks ago. We have, and this is conservative, right now, 50 people who serve on a regular basis here at Exalt Church, from children's ministry to setting up and tearing down. We got one group of guys who are crazy with each other. They love each other. They show up every week at the crack of dawn to put this thing together. And a lady joins them too, and she's pretty tough also. Look out for Renee, and she's saying, hey, give me some other ladies to help me here. It is pretty awesome. They get out, and they encourage each other, they, and they tease each other, and they talk to each other. And when one goes out on sea, they say, hey, we're praying for you. We're thinking about you. And they talk about him and pray for him when he's gone. They serve each other. They share with each other. You need people who can pour into your life. But if all you're doing is receiving, 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 what's going to happen is you're going to become unhealthy and you are going to become so introspect in your thinking that you are going to become shallow and actually diseased in your Christian walk. You need an outlet. You need to give. You need to pour back out to others. And when you're blessing, here's what the Bible says. When you bless someone else, you're blessed. So small groups give you the chance for Bible study. It gives you a chance for relationships. It gives you a chance for prayer and support and to serve and to share with each other. So here's what we've done. I'm going to say it again. And I'm going to close. We have signups out there in the lobby. We have several groups going on from a creative outlet group led by Marge Yoakum to a men's group. And they're going to do different activities. And you know what? Some of them aren't going to be that spiritual. Can I be honest with you? Some of them are going to say, how was that spiritual? It wasn't, except it was building relationships, and that's very spiritual. Because here's what's going to happen. There's going to come a day when you're going to need one of those guys who you met at that crazy group and you don't think, guys, you need someone until you've met a place in your life when you actually need someone. And we don't know that we need someone until God takes us to the point that we need someone. You're going to have someone. You don't know a mechanic's name until you have to have the mechanic. But then when you have a problem breakdown, you want a good mechanic, don't you? 
And so it gives you that chance. We have a men's group that's starting going on there. We have a women's group that is starting. We have a uh, young adults group that's starting, a young marriage group. We have several groups starting out there, and you can go online and read more about it, but there's also information on it right there in the, the lobby. We encourage you to sign up because we want you to be healthy. We want you to grow. We don't want you to live in isolation. We don't want to look at your life and say, this isn't good. If you're on a set up and tear down team, you're in a small group. If you're on the worship team, you're in a small group. Thank God for you. They meet every week for a couple hours and practice and hang out. That's a small group. But begin getting with others so you can actually practice this laboratory of loving one another. Was that clear today at all? Did you get it? Was it too mean today? All right. Do I have to come back and be nice next week a little bit more? Just let me know. Stand with me, if you will, in Jesus' name. I give you a new commandment. Love each other as I have loved you. Love each other. And your love for one another will prove to the unbelieving world that you are my disciples. We've come a long way, church, but we haven't come far enough. We want to love one another. Amen? As the worship team comes, as the ushers get into place, I'm going to pray for you. Oh, Father, what a, what a blessing, what a joy it is to get to talk for you. You know I didn't want to do this, but you called me to do it. And Lord, what a joy it's been to be a pastor. What a joy it's been to serve you. It's not something I sought. It's not something I wanted. It's not something someone pushed me into, Lord. You asked me to do it. It's been a privilege. Thank you for letting me talk to these people today these folks that you love dearly and that you gave your life for. Thank you for the work you're doing in them. And Lord, thank you for a place called Exalt Church that isn't perfect, that we're still growing, we're still learning, and we admit that we have brokenness and we have dysfunction because, Lord, as we admit that before you and confess our faults one to another, you come into our lives and you begin to work on us. Would you baptize us in love? Would you give us a heart, Lord, to move us beyond spectator Christian to serving one another Christian? Lord, thank you for what you're doing here. Thank you for the lives that have been saved. God, thank you for the high percentage of people that are serving, Lord, and others that all the time are saying, where can I get plugged into? Thank you, Lord, for that. Lord, I pray you take us deeper. I pray you deputize every believer in this place and may they understand that they are truly ministers. Lord, I pray for that couple that feels like they have been separated and feel like they have been left out to be run over. Lord, may they know that you have not given up on them, but you are pursuing them and you're chasing them down. Lord, here we are. We're yours. We're yours. We give you our all because you gave us your all. Amen and amen. Give someone a high-fi and say one another. Give someone a high-fi and say one another. One another. Amen.
as our ushers come, let me personally say thank you so much for your giving. We do have three ways to give. They'll bring that up there. You can give by text. You can give online. Or you can drop your offering in the bucket there as well. It'll be up here in just a second. If it's your first time with us, will you please do me a big favor? Take a moment and pause and, and fill out the Connect card, the Welcome Home card, and drop it in the offering. We want to just give you a, a warm welcome. If you miss the buckets, you can drop it into the information table. Again, if this is your first time with us, I'm going to ask you to give nothing monetarily in the offering. We want the service to be our gift to you, but please drop this in because we want to give you a welcome. Guys, lives are being changed. In the last year, over 60 people have made professions of faith to serve Jesus Christ. Amen. That is amazing. People that had given up on church have come back to church. People that had never, one guy told me, and I won't call him by name, but he said, if it wasn't minutes before the service started, and I would leave after it was empty and walk out the door, but I joined a team, and now I'm hanging out, helping things going on. Listen, that's the way you get connected. Get to know people. Give it a shot. Move beyond the rows, and there are some great people here. And listen, if you're looking for the perfect church, you haven't found it. We are not it. From day one, I was its pastor, and it ruined it. All right? So we've been ruined from day one. But if you're looking for a church that loves Jesus and will proclaim grace and will speak to you both love and truth, and you want a place that will encourage you, will agitate you, spur you on, we'd love to have you at Exalt Church. God bless you guys. Thank you so much. Can you give the band a welcome? Thank you so much. Amen. Amen. Thank you, ushers. Amen.